Hey, hello, it's Martin Dillon. It's Legal Questions, the podcast that I said I was going to do much, much more regularly than I have been doing it recently. Oh my goodness, what happened? Was I... <laughs> was I committing misleading and deceptive conduct in trade when I said I'll do a podcast every week from now and then just didn't for I don't know how long it's been now what what three weeks at least I don't know I don't even know what happened I know that um old prop baby my son he hasn't been uh he hasn't been too cooperative with the whole uh, podcast setup recently. I did try to do this on two separate occasions pretty recently, um, you know, holding on to him as uh, as I have been doing on occasions in the past, and it, it just didn't work, eh? Usually, you know, he can sort of you know, grab the microphone a bit or touch it or knock it or, or comment on what he agrees or disagrees with, but... Um, you know, only from time to time, I didn't really think it was causing too, too much disruption. But, uh, whew, <laughs> those last couple of attempts, it just was not happening. I think I might do a podcast pretty soon on what it's like being a lawyer. Because, you know, you can turn on the TV and get some information about what it might be like according to... Uh, I don't know, some script writer in London or um, Los Angeles or something like that. But uh, you don't, yeah, it doesn't really, it's not all it's made out to be on TV. There are better things about it than uh, made out on TV. But there's also um, some things to do with the pressures of juggling a number of cases all at once that doesn't, tend to come across all that well on the on the screens you know the the episode that you're watching is about one case and they stick that one case through right throughout the episode whereas in reality I, I, look I, I won't speak for everybody out there practicing law but certainly for for me and my friends you have a number of cases and you very, very seldom get the opportunity to just sit down for a day, let alone, you know, a couple of days in a row, and just work on the one case. There's, there's always interruptions. There's always um, stuff that, that comes up uh, to, to sort of get in the way, disrupt your, your mental flow and that sort of thing. And a lot of the time, if you really need to focus in on, on something, you're just going to have to do it at night, um, you know. Phones aren't ringing, emails aren't coming through. Sure, you can turn off the phone and turn off the email, but um, uh, sometimes you have to be on standby during the day if you're anything like me for um, customers, clients who, uh, who get arrested and need to um, have an urgent bail hearing down at the court. So where I work in Hamilton, the court's about a 10-minute a walk away. I have to go through this roundabout of death which is like a double lane roundabout and a very very limited opportunity for pedestrians to cross visibility is also impeded because um the roundabout is is on the crest of a hill and so you can't cross the roundabout through the middle you've got to cross it on one side of the hill or other so you can never really see what's coming off yeah so sometimes the um 
the the stroll down to the courthouse can take a few extra minutes because you just don't you know if, if traffic's heavy and that you don't want to cross at that point you just walk down the street and do a sort of a, a doubling back on the other side of the street once you've safely survived i think i will i think i'll get in touch with my local council about that one i almost saw someone get um nailed on the street just a few days ago and I think that's still sort of fresh in my mind. But what I wanted to talk about today was why I sometimes have to make the trek down to court past the roundabout of death um, at short notice. And that is to deal with bail. So bail and jail, I think, will be the um, topic of today's podcast. I had a feeling I was going to um, say something more. Oh, yeah, that's right. Of course, I haven't been back to the office for... Um, for a few days now, because we are day three of uh, level four lockdown in New Zealand. Uh, we had a big lockdown last year in, in 2020, and I had a few jury trials adjourned over that time. One of them was scheduled for last week, <laughs> a year later. And then we're in exactly the same situation as we were back in 2020, where we've got to say, okay, you know, jury, you've got to go home, defendant, my client, you're back on bail, the case is off, we're going to have to just reschedule it, hopefully not for um, for another year's hence, because um, so many uh, criminal cases out there are get, just getting put back and put back, and this one particularly, it's, it's quite a, an old case now, and you don't... Look, nobody wants that hanging over their heads for um, forever and ever or, or longer than needs be if you're the um, the complainant. So that's the, the terminology we use for someone who's alleged a crime against them. Um, now, in you know TV land, they're often referred to as the victim, but that's usually something that has to be determined by a jury or judge depending if you choose a jury trial or a judge alone trial um, so up until the point where someone actually you know sitting as a judge jury are uh, judges of a kind they're judges of fact and uh, your regular judges uh, judges of law unless you go judge alone trial and getting confusing judges of law and fact in a judge alone trial where the judge assumes the role of the the jury. Um, oh, thing about coronavirus is it affects your memory. I wonder if I have coronavirus. Nah. I've actually had to have a couple of tests, but uh, all been good, all been negative. As far as I know, there's no coronavirus in my particular city, but in the two major centres that sort of bookend uh, the island that I'm on, um, there's coronavirus there, and, and I'm right in the middle. I'm not too sure if, um, you know, at the, the next sort of news media event, they're going to be announcing that uh, there's even more cases and, and maybe something to do with, with my city as well. So um, anyway, I was talking about, I was wanting to talk about bail and jail. I feel like I've just skipped over something that um, that I wanted to come back to. I think that's the problem with um, giving up on the old podcasting for um, for a few weeks. You sort of lose your ability to um, 
well, I'll speak for myself, I lose my ability to do it in the same way. You know, you form those those mental neural pathways and um, so you don't really have to think, think too, too hard about what you're doing. You just need to keep talking and hope for the best and you get there eventually. But uh, on this occasion, I'm, I'm sure I've just skipped over something that I wanted to come back to. Never mind. It's been a busy few days. Whenever uh, cases get um, put off, um, there's always this sort of flurry of work through the courts because, you know, court workers are the essential uh, service providers, you know, judges, uh, lawyers and, and the court staff. Uh, they're classed as essential here in, in New Zealand anyway. I suppose law and order is kind of important when you think about it, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's right. Once a a complainant is adjudged to have actually uh, been the victim of the crime, of a crime, then, then they become referred to as uh, uh, the victims. Um, but up until that point, the, the point that you have a trial and they're, they're judged to, to be victims, we just call them complainants. And that's actually a pretty important point when we're talking about bail decisions. And bail decisions is what I wanted to get back to because you have the presumption of innocence right up until the point where you are found guilty. Or acquitted. Acquitted means found not guilty, uh, as the case may be. And that can be confusing for some people who are defendants accused of crimes and their family. When they're sitting in the, the bail court, they're hearing the judge talking about, mm, well, maybe we'll let you out, maybe we won't. Um, it really just comes down to risk. And they'll be saying, but wait, aren't I supposed to be presumed not guilty? Um uh, presumed innocent, which is actually a little bit different. Innocent and not guilty, a bit different. But um, anyway, presumption of innocence. Shouldn't I just be allowed out on bail as a matter of right? Well, not according to the Bail Act from the year 2000. I can't think of any good Y2K jokes right now. I mean, it was 21 years ago. Wouldn't that be cool, though, if you had a joke book? Of um of like period jokes around significant events in history, is that super nerdy? I don't know. I I, I just feel like there's so many good jokes out there that are kind of like lost to time as the moment passes. I think it'd be worth. I don't know. I'd I'd read that anyway. Anyway. Oh oh, you can actually buy my book in an actual bookstore. Uh, just before we went into lockdown. <laughs> that, Auckland District Law Society is stocking that now, so that's cool. You can buy it in hard copy from um, Amazon.com. Um, if you want the hard copy, though, you've got to go to Amazon.com, not .com.au. That will have problems. You've just got to go to the .com. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's why that is, but um, that's just what they're telling me. Thank you to everybody who's got in touch recently and and um, you know said you'd you'd like it or that you're having problems getting it from .com.au. I still appreciate that and um, look, I mean you, you hopefully have heard back from me and you you know what the answer is there. But once the government lets us back out on the streets and back into um, back into stores, you can go down to the Auckland District Law Society bookstore and um, look up civil litigation for non-lawyers. From me. Now, I better throw out the old um, disclaimer. 
This podcast provides general information only. It's not legal advice or a substitute. It should not be relied upon as such. No decision, action, or inaction should progress without taking specific advice from a lawyer. Please see the terms and conditions at questions.legal for more. The podcast is Legal Questions. The uh, website is questions.legal. And if you want to ask a question for me to talk about on the podcast, um, you can email ask at questions.legal or um, go through the, uh, the, the, the contact form that's on the website, uh, questions.legal. Anyway... Where were we? Oh, yeah. Millennium with the um, Bail Act 2000. Most defendants will come under Section 8 of the Bail Act, and that's the uh, the general provisions about um, granting bail. So our um, bail legislation in New Zealand is all to do with risk whether or not there is just cause for continued detention because of course when well i should say i shouldn't say of course in most cases people are arrested by police they're told that they're um, going to be charged with an offense they're given their bill of rights hopefully you know, you, you have the right to speak to a lawyer and you don't have to make a statement to police. And I've already talked about, on a, I think it was podcast number one, um, the reasons why talking to police is probably not in your best interests, generally. But you have the right to speak to a lawyer when you're arrested and you can ring up the lawyer and say, hello, and the lawyer will say, hello, um, and you'll say, hey, I'm thinking about making a statement to the police. And the lawyer will probably tell you, don't do that, old chap. Or madam. Or whatever. Um, don't do that. Because you could inadvertently make certain admissions that lead the police to decide to charge you when they might not have... Um, at the outset, or they might not have had enough evidence to, to do that prior to um, to talking to you. And uh, I'm not necessarily say, saying that um, they've got it right, or that the um, that you you know that you'd actually have done something. But when it's your job to apprehend people and charge them with crimes, um. Sometimes there can be a bias in favour of just charging someone and letting the courts sort it out. Um, uh, I could probably word that a little bit better, but sometimes if you know, you've know you got a hammer, everything looks like a nail, and if you've got someone who's been arrested for a, you know, particular, you know, on a particular allegation, um, you'd be probably thinking, okay, well, let's charge them if we can. And then you'd be thinking, well, do we have enough evidence? Okay, well, maybe we can't put this person at the actual scene as well as we'd like to, or as, um, or the evidence isn't particularly good on actually placing this person at the scene. But it's good on or good enough on, on all other fronts, and then you actually um, talk to to the potential defendant, say you, and um, 
they, they ask you to talk about these particular allegations and the first thing you do is you say, oh yeah, well I was there but I had nothing to do with it. And they'll just hear, I was there. And they'll think, oh yep, right, admits being at the scene. Well that was the thing that we really needed. Tick, charger. They would forget about that whole, um, I had nothing to do with it. Well, not necessarily forget about, but um, they would uh, choose to believe that you were there at the scene and choose not to believe that you had nothing to do with it. And it can, man, like you wouldn't believe, um, have all sorts of implications because they just think, oh, yeah, well, this guy's sort of, you know, we've got enough to to charge this guy. So we're just going to charge this person and then close the investigation down and let this case run through the courts. And what I mean by that is that they don't actually necessarily speak to other potential uh, suspects or other witnesses who might give conflicting information to um, people who've talked to police and given uh, statements, made allegations that have led to the particular charging decision for the particular defendant that we're talking about here. Um, Yeah, it's, it's just a... It's just a natural human consequence to, I suppose, go and charge someone who's sitting in the um, the police cells there. You know, you've got the allegations. They tend to point to this person. Um, yes, it's possible that it was someone else who um, is actually the, the culprit, the, the perpetrator of the crime. But you're a policeman, you're under pressure, there's stress in your job. You've got a hundred different cases that you need to be working on. Uh, you've got a wife and kids at home and you're already late. Um, there's all sorts of pressures to just make that decision to charge that person and then see it through the courts rather than uh, going on and exploring every angle to a case and particularly the angle that the defendant raises with you when you're interviewing that person in the cells. Okay, so, um, yeah, back to bail. Sorry, this is just going on and on, isn't it? Gee, I didn't want to do that. I'm going to try and knock this out in half an hour, but I don't think so. Okay, bonus five minutes for this episode. Um, Just cause for uh, continued detention, Section 8 of the Bail Act, which applies to most defendants, uh, but not all of them. There are other provisions of the Bail Act for people who are charged with particularly serious crimes or have a particularly serious criminal history. I won't go into what those are, but I will say that um, for the more serious stuff, there is often an onus. What does an onus mean? Isn't that a part of the body? No. Um, An onus means a a burden, a burden of proof. So when we're talking about a, a burden of proof, we could be talking about the the onus, the uh, the job. So the defendant has the job in these quite serious cases to satisfy the court that bail should be granted. Rather than under Section 8, which applies to, to most defendants, um, because most crimes, most, most people who come before the court are not charged with like the really serious stuff, you know, murder, manslaughter, um serious uh, drug dealing 
offences, particularly meth, methamphetamine. Uh, what else? Or, or most defendants who come before the court do not necessarily have a, a serious criminal history that would trigger these more onerous, these more burdensome provisions of the uh, Bail Act where the job is on the defendant to show reason why bail should be granted. When it comes to, um, oh, and I should say, in New Zealand, as with so many common law countries other than America, we don't do uh, bail bonds. You You don't need to pay an amount of money to get bail it's just to do with if you're going to be a risk to society or a risk to the actual case. What do I mean by risk to the actual case in terms of you know whether or not you should get bail? Um, a risk to the actual case is under section 8, subsection 1a, little i of the Bail Act, whether there is a risk that the defendant may fail to appear in court. So in other words, run off. Um, and you, you might say, well, there's an argument that if they've paid this you know, bail bond money, they'll be less likely to run off. I have no idea if that would be really um, correct. Um, but look, uh, I would suggest that the bail system here in New Zealand works just fine without the need to impose bail bonds and frankly, there seems to be this whole extra layer of administration to do with bail bonds that um, doesn't seem doesn't seem all that necessary. I mean, if you're charged with a real serious crime and you could afford the bail bond uh, and you think that you're going to be proven guilty at trial, just pay pay the bail bond and, and run off, right? I mean, uh, I don't know. I'll try not to ramble too much here. Anyway, risk to the case, Section 8. Whether or not the defendant uh, may fail to appear in court, that's something that the judges have to take into account. Would the defendant interfere with witnesses or evidence? Which, if they did, would be a serious crime in itself, but it's also one of the risks that the court has to take into account um, when deciding whether or not to grant bail. So, you know, witness tampering, contacting witnesses, threatening um, um, threatening injury to them or their families or something like that if they give evidence. That's a no-no, and, um, and it's a serious crime in New Zealand, and it's treated very seriously by the courts. The typical uh, expression that comes up in sentencing for crimes of uh, witness tampering is that that kind of action strikes at the heart of the justice system. So it it does. It goes right to the the, the central issue. It's all about truth and justice, unless you're doing my job, which is about... um, uh, No, no, okay, let's not get into that. (laughs) Um. The other thing that the judges have to take into account when deciding whether or not to grant bail is whether or not the defendant may offend in any way, not just uh, witness tampering, but in any way. I mean, some of my guys' uh, clients, you know, they get charged with uh, violence offence, for example, 
and then get bail, go out, and then commit another violence offence um, for whatever reason. I don't know why exactly you would go and do that once you've been through the whole rigmarole of getting bail in the first place. But uh, some people, they just can't help themselves, I suppose. They're going through some stuff. I'm not going to try and justify it. All I'm going to say is that, um, would you believe it, it does happen that someone just gets um, given bail and goes out and does something oftentimes even worse. I don't know, maybe they just kind of give up. I don't know what's going on there. But the courts also have to take into account um, any other matter that would make it unjust to detain the defendant. So um, there is a balance that needs to be that needs to be struck. Other things that the judges need to take into account when deciding about bail is the kind of offence that the defendant is charged with, the strength of the evidence and the probability of a conviction, uh, the seriousness of the punishment. Uh, look, I'll just make sure I'm still recording because I was just flipping around with my computer. Yep, looks like it's still good. Seriousness of punishment that is um, perhaps going to be imposed, the character and past conduct or behavior, in particular proven criminal behavior of the defendant, whether the defendant has a history of offending while on bail or breaching court orders, including orders imposing bail conditions, and the likely length of time before the matter comes to hearing or trial, the possibility of prejudice to the defence in the preparation of the defence, if the defendant is remanded in custody, and any other special matter that is relevant in the particular circumstances. There are some other uh, bespoke special conditions for particular kinds of crimes uh, and another one of those that's particularly worth mentioning is family violence so um, the interests of the uh, the complainant who may well be a victim but we don't quite know at the time when we're giving bail uh, the the interests of the complainant is paramount in a family violence case where there's an alleged breach of a protection order. Um, and that is for yeah, obvious reasons, really, but also very sad ones. We've had a bit of a history here in New Zealand where uh, men in particular become obsessed with their partners and um, relationships over, essentially, but they don't really accept that and then they get in trouble and they blame their partner or former partner for that and then as soon as they get bail they go around and and do something terrible and um, the idea of those family violence provisions in the bail act is to um, uh, put another uh, hurdle in place for people who may well be in that kind of category the, um, the obsessive ex-partner um, to prevent them from getting out and doing terrible things. Okay, so of these um, provisions that I've just read out, which tend to count in favour of bail or can be used to count in favour of bail and which tend to uh, count against? Well, if you have a young person who doesn't have uh, a criminal history, 
previous convictions. A clean record tends to count in favour of bail. The likely length of time before the matter comes to hearing or trial often counts in favour of bail, particularly in these times of coronavirus. <coughs> sorry, coronavirus, where um, where people's cases just going out and out and out. I mean, I told you about this um, trial that I was involved with that was prejudiced by coronavirus uh, last year gets scheduled for this year, and then we go into lockdown again. And um, oh, I mean, it's going to get special priority, but um, yeah, I don't know if it's going to get on for hearing this year. So, I mean, that tends to count in favour of bail if you're going to be waiting around for a long time. Um, you know, you'd prefer to do that at home rather than in custody. And waiting around in custody is um, yeah, pretty bad experience by all counts. The only reason why you might see it as a positive to be remanded in custody is because you know you're guilty and you're most likely going to be found guilty and the time in custody gets taken into account um, at sentencing. Either if you get given something less than imprisonment by way of a sentence, then that's something that the judge can take into account um, time in custody but if you get sentenced to um, imprisonment that time automatically gets taken into account and gets um, deducted from uh, your sentence it gets factored into the release date so it won't be actually something that's talked about by the judge in court it'll just be something that comes up on the paperwork that you get after you've been sentenced to a sentence of imprisonment um, saying hey look um you got sentenced to this amount of time. You spent that amount of time uh, on remand in custody, so in jail, bail's been declined. And so then that amount gets taken off the um, the length of time you've been sentenced for, and then they should give you on the piece of paper, setting out these things, your release date. Um, now, you could be released sooner if you get given parole. That's a whole separate thing. Um, but there is a, a statutory release date, like a, a specific time when you have to be set free, regardless of, you know, you might get parole earlier, but if you don't get parole earlier, then this is the cutoff and you have to just be let out. Um, now, the possibility of prejudice to the defence in the preparation of the defence if the defendant is remanded in custody is something that doesn't often come up but um, can be a factor in times of coronavirus as well where I can't get out to the prison to actually interview defendants in person um, and it is a lot harder to get in touch with them now that I'm you know, in the home office working from home. Um, we have a system that we have set up in court where I can just go down to the court and have a like a video link conference to uh, a client in the prison and of course I can't go to the court now for that because while the courts are open in these times of coronavirus it really is for particular special matters where for example time is of the essence or uh, someone's liberty is at stake and by that they mean uh, someone's just been arrested, and a bail decision needs to be made. Which brings us back to bail decisions. 
Um, let's have a think about what tends to count against um, against bail. And I'm just having a look at the um, at the criteria here under section eight. If you're charged with a nasty crime, um, that tends to count against. But if you're charged with something that's not particularly serious, then that tends to count in favour. Um, what do I mean, nasty crime? Well, something that carries a maximum penalty of 10 years or more um, would f- tend to fall into that category. I'm not saying that you definitely get denied bail in that situation. I'm just saying that it's it tends to count against you when we get into that territory, but under that can count in, in your favour. Um, but... I mean, if you're charged with violence and then you have a whole history of violence, particularly resisting police can be um, particularly problematic because um, when you're given bail, you usually have a a residence condition attached. And that means you just got to live at a particular address. If you need to move, that's fine, but you just go through your lawyer, fill out some paperwork, the police checks this new address, and then they'll come back and tell you whether or not that's suitable. And uh, if it's not suitable, you stay where you are. Unless you're getting kicked out of where you are, um, and then you might have to go into custody until you can find an alternative, or it might be that we could manage that in some other way. All I can really say in relation to that is that if you think you're going to get kicked out or you've got a tenancy that's coming to an end, give your lawyer as much notice as you can, because... um, at times I've had fellows who ring up and they say, hey, I'm moving out today, I need to change my bail address. Like that's something that can just be done, uh, you know, in the blink of an eye. It actually takes oftentimes a little bit to set up because the guy hasn't been arrested. And so all the um, systems that are in place to uh, bring people who are arrested before a judge quickly... Um, if you've already been granted bail and you're just going to randomly move, uh, you won't necessarily uh, have access to those systems that ensure you get funneled through and and dealt with quickly. Although, um, I mean, what usually happens is that I'd I'd file some paperwork with the court and with police. Police would check the address They'd go back to the court and say either, yep, that's all good, or no, it's not good, we need an opposed bail hearing. Well, they'll be arguing against going to the address, and I'll be arguing for going to that address on behalf of my client. Um, And then the judge or community magistrate would make a decision depending on who gets the case. So they can go to community magistrates, which are, um, they don't have the same amount of jurisdiction as judges. Uh, judges have a, a greater amount of jurisdiction. They can hear, you know, uh, trials. They can hear uh, of most categories. Uh, cases get broken down into categories depending on their seriousness. And a judge in, for example, the district court will be able to hear, you know, any anyone who comes to the district court to deal with a case, whereas community magistrates will not be able to deal with... Um, um, uh, well, when it comes to bail, they can deal with a reasonable amount, but they can't deal with, uh, for example, taking uh, guilty pleas on 
anything above the least serious kinds of charges, which are typically driving charges. They can't do trials for anything that's greater than a very, very low level of charge. They can't do jury trials. Anyway, that takes us kind of off topic a bit. I was talking about, um, oh yes, that's right, if you need to vary your bail, and that could be for address, which is usually the most um, uh, the most uh, significant kind of bail variation, but it can also be other things. Oftentimes people have a, uh, a curfew, and that means you have to just go home and stay home overnight between certain hours. Um, and sometimes people need their curfew varied for work. But if you do need a bail variation, all I'm saying is that get in touch with your lawyer, uh, hopefully, you know, at least a week, preferably two weeks before you actually really need that variation to be to become effective. Some people have people pass away in their lives and they need a reasonably urgent bail variation so that they can attend a funeral. Um, that's in a different category and that can be... Funneled through to the, you know, funneled through the court system on reasonably, uh, on reasonably short notice. But police normally need a bit of um, time to verify that what is being put before the court is based in truth or based in reality. Because you know you can sort of appreciate some people want uh, certain liberties, especially when they've on uh, they've been on bail for a long time, and it can be many months before a case gets to trial. And some people just want to sort of, you know, test the limits of the system um, and maybe take advantage if they can. And so police are rightly cautious when approaching bail variation applications. So two weeks would be would be just lovely, um, but at least one week before you really need it, at least one week before, for example, moving out of your house into a new, uh, into a new flat or into a new house so that police can check it, that would be great. Um, let's have a think about what other uh, conditions of bail there can be, and um, and what other impediments or, or things that you need to think about to get bail. Well, I'll tell you what, coming back to family violence, if you are charged with uh, violence against your partner, you can't go back to live with your partner uh, under a bail arrangement. You'd normally be required to find an alternative address because, again, we've got to keep those people safe, or well, I should say the, the courts have to keep those people safe. The community needs to keep those people safe. And so putting them back or putting a, an alleged offender, presumed innocent, but still, we're talking about risk here, not uh, definitive findings. Putting an alleged offender back into the same situation where the uh, allegations have been said to arise from is risky, particularly if they've got, for example, a restrictive curfew or something else that's required under the terms of bail that might put them under stress because, you know, stress can be a, a really toxic thing to a relationship. And so the courts would be very, very reluctant to send an accused uh, domestic violence perpetrator back to their home, um, and particularly on restrictive bail. Um, oh yes, that's right. Now, if you are on a curfew, something that you need to know is that the police will check 
compliance with the curfew, and that can often mean that they will come around to your home late, late at night or very early in the morning and bang on the doors to check that you're actually home. And you're required to go to the door and say, yeah, you know, I'm home. But sometimes uh, people say that they're heavy sleepers or something like that, and then they don't come to the door and um, police log a bail breach in the system, which can cause problems. It can, you know, mean that you end up getting arrested and brought to court on an alleged breach, and then you've just got to explain to the court, maybe, look, I was at home, I just didn't hear the police knocking, uh, you know, heavy sleeper or something like that. Um, And that's not always believed. Don't be under any um, illusions there. Now, you might be able to hear a whole lot of crying in the background. That'll be the kids. I see that I've hit the 40-minute mark, so you've got a bonus 10 minutes of the episode. I don't know how much of a bonus it really is because I'm pretty sure I probably rambled for about 10 minutes on the podcast today. Anyway, getting back into the swing of things. Let's think if there's anything else that I really need to cover off in terms of um, bail and bail arrangements. The key ones are residence and curfew. Sometimes you can have um, other conditions imposed, such as um, not drinking alcohol, which you might think, and some people really think, is just the worst thing in the world ever. I haven't touched alcohol since November last year, and I've got to say, wow, I see the world differently in a better way since that. I um, didn't. I wouldn't say I had a, a problem, but, you know, nobody ever does, right? <laughs> um, but I, I would say that I was worried that I was going to end up having a problem. And, you know, when the with the kid being born and everything like that, I just thought, oh, look, I need to... Just, you know, I need to stop this. I think I'm you know, starting to drink a bit more than I used to and a bit more regularly than I used to. And um, and I'm worried that it's, it's going to become a crutch. And so I stopped. And you know what? I've had a bit of a conversation with other people who've been on um, no alcohol conditions as part of their bail. And we all sort of make similar observations. Now, the alcoholic ones, they're, they're very different. Um, but the ones who were uh, maybe more casual drinkers, we'll say, but then maybe got into trouble in the context of a a bar or a party when they're said to have been drunk, and that's usually why the no alcohol condition is uh, imposed. They say, well, look, you know, you drank alcohol and you're an angry drunk and you're alleged to have, um, you know, got into a fight or something like that. So no more alcohol for you until um, until your case is dealt with to keep everybody safe. Term of bail. The people that I've discussed alcohol with um, and not having to, to drink, particularly for a long period of time, they'll say, you know what? I feel better. I've lost weight. Yeah, I've been able to keep the weight off. Um, my sleep's been better. Uh, and um, and there's this kind of strange befuddlement, for want of a better word, as to um, just the level of uh, booze around in the community. I was thinking back to when I, I turned 18, and no disrespect to anyone, but it was just a done thing that you 
you turn 18, you, you can drink when you're 18 in, in New Zealand. You turn 18 and you go and you, you drink. And when you're young, you drink to excess. And, and, and you pretty much drink all the time, you know, at, at every reasonable opportunity. You know, you go to a restaurant, you have some wine, um, you go, go around to visit someone, you have a beer, you go out to a party, you get off your face. Um, that was just a done thing. You're going out on the town for the night in your 20s. Um, you have a whole lot of drinks before you actually go to town so you don't um, spend too much on those, uh, those overpriced beers. But wow, think it. Just the level of of um, alcohol in the community is is really something that I never really I've never really recognised. You know, I go to read the paper, the news on my phone, and the first thing that comes up is uh, someone asks me, "Would you like to buy some beers?" And you got to hit the little X on that, and then get through to the actual news site that you wanted to visit. You turn on the TV, and there's someone else. Would you like to buy some wine? And you go to your local dairy or, you know, a mini convenience store. It might be the translator. We just call them dairies. They're like not a supermarket. They're just a smaller sort of corner shop. Um, and they, you can buy alcohol there. And then you start thinking, well, you know, it's really affected me. And, and now that I've given up, I feel much more healthy. And you start seeing it like it's almost like poison. And you think back and you think, gee, when I turned 18, my dad took me out and said, would you like to have this cup of poison? We'll drink poison together. And then you can go out with your friends and drink more poison. Don't drink too, too much because this poison, if you drink too, too much of it, you'll die. But if you, you just drink a bit, it'll just give you all these health complications and make you dumb. <laughs> Um, but uh, it, it really is quite hard to escape from. And then you look on the side of the bus and there's some more advertising for it or on billboards and you're just looking around. It's everywhere. You go out to, for a nice meal and they're offering you poison there as well and you're just thinking, how do we get to this stage? Um, and then there's this debate about uh, drugs and particularly cannabis in New Zealand. It's not legal here. But um, i got to say, in my work as a criminal lawyer, I can't think of a case where a person's gone and smoked a whole lot of blunts and then went out in the town and, and just king-hit someone out of nowhere. That's reserved for alcohol, typically. I can't think of a, of a case where, you know, someone uh, is at home uh, smoking dope and... Um, and is watching the you know the national sports team. Here we have the the All Blacks playing rugby. Watch them lose and go all get all angry and then and then beat their misses up. Just doesn't happen. That's what happens um, when they've been drinking. Though I don't know. I, I just I, I just can't recall a connection between cannabis and violence. But the connection between alcohol and violence is very well established through the court system. Um, I don't know. If I was king of New Zealand and someone said, all right, you've got to make a choice. What are we going to legalize here? Is it going to be cannabis or is it going to be alcohol? 
Uh, well, you know what? I'm not saying it, you know, for definite. I'm not being. Um, uh, I'm not. I'm not being definitive about this, but I'd certainly give uh, preference to cannabis over alcohol. I'd certainly give that some very serious consideration. Because again, um, I don't. I, I don't see it as having all these or as many bad side effects for society um, when compared side to side with alcohol. Maybe that's a whole lot of ignorance on my part, but as I say, I mean, just just observing what I see going through the courts, um, all the the people who do cannabis um, that I'm familiar with seem like pretty chilled out, non-violent types. And I only really see them because they've got in trouble for growing cannabis or, or dealing with it or having it. Anyway, something to think about. Uh, now, what else do I need to say before I close this off? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've run through the disclaimer. I've mentioned that books out in the in the store, which is quite a big thing for me. I was, I was really chuffed at that. I didn't actually think it would happen. But um, apparently some... Yeah, uh, people got in touch with the Law Society and he made a push for it, a publisher included, thanks to Steve Keel. And um, they agreed, and they've, they've put that in the um, in the bookstore. So that's, that's really cool. Thanks for to everybody who helped ha- uh, make that happen. If you want to ask a question, um, just email ask at questions.legal. That's really the email address for... This podcast, um, you can look me up on the uh, internet and email me through my um, business website. I mean, you know, I can't stop you, uh, but I won't necessarily connect that to um, the podcast unless it's particularly obvious. I've had a few queries through the um, the, the business email address and, and entered into a bit of um, correspondence with folks thinking that they uh, wanted to become clients and then later on it turned out that it was a request for um, information to be shared on the podcast such as information about bail hey look rambling again sorry about that next podcast will hopefully be a little bit more succinct I wonder how much of the uh, the family drama in the background has come through onto this. I've got all these sorts of special levels set up on this microphone, and the idea is that it uh, only picks up the sound of my voice and also little clicking sounds I sometimes make at the end or before I start a new sentence. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, i got to shut this down now. Take care. Happy lockdown. Don't get coronavirus. I'll talk to you, hopefully... Um, within a week but like I say uh, I don't want to make false promises or anything like that but um, I'm very much still keen oh gee I can't even talk very keen still on um, getting this podcast out and uh, thanks for all the, the well wishing about it it's been it's been really cool cheers <laughs>